Hello and welcome to episode 174 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark and joining me on today's episode is the amazing actor Nick Blood. You know him from obviously the incredible Marvel TV show Agents of Shields and don't worry we get to talk all about that on today's episode but not only that you'll know him from Close to Me, Say My Name, Trolleyed, Exmoor, Most Wanted and various different films and TV and I'm absolutely thrilled that he's joined me today on the Mark and Me podcast. But in true typical Mark and Me fashion, I like to use the intro of every episode to touch base and talk about my previous episode. This was a huge one. It was Big E, the WWE Champion. It was my first face-to-face interview that I've done in a couple of years because of lockdown and it couldn't have gone better. It's been my most downloaded episode in 2021 and I've had so many new listeners come on board. I want to say a massive thank you to everyone that tuned in and listened to that interview and welcome aboard to the brand new fans of the podcast. I hope you stick around and go back and listen to all the previous episodes as well. But like I said, today's episode is Nick Blood, an amazing British actor and an amazing interview. So I think the best thing to do right now is to get straight to it. So here's me and Nick Blood talking all things film and TV. So Nick, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. That's all right. It's nice to be here. Nick, what I want to do today is take it right back to the very start. So can you talk to Mm. me about when you were growing up, maybe the first films you were watching or acting performances on screen that made you fall in love with film? Yeah, I guess I I fell in love with the idea of acting or being an actor or whatever before I really kind of knew what it was and necessarily associated it with films or TV. I'd just gone to, uh, there's a local drama group and... uh, it was, it was just kind of thing that the older, you know, my older brother went to and his friends who, you know, your older brother and his friends are always way cooler than you are. So I just kind of wanted to go to for that fact. And you got to stay up to nine o'clock and um, that was the main attraction really. And it was pretty much as, and I was kind of begging my mum to go just for those frivolous reasons. And then I went for the first time and it, I, I can rem- still remember now being stood on the stage and doing this silly little scene where I didn't really have a clue what I was doing, but just the buzz of being in front of the audience and getting a response from them, it just immediately, I just knew that's what I wanted to do. Um, and couldn't really, fa- I used to think that everybody wanted to be an actor. I couldn't really fathom that why anyone would want to do everything, anything else. And surely if you were doing anything else, it was just because you couldn't be an actor. Um, so I, I'd already kind of got um, that bug. And then, but I guess the, when you when you were saying that, the first thing that popped into my head, I remember watching Home Alone. Nice. And I would have been, yeah, I would have been the same. I think I'd probably be the same age as Macaulay Culkin, maybe a little bit younger, maybe a couple of years younger. And obviously that film is, you know, for, a kid, for any kid, it's just like an amazing fantasy, just getting yeah. the run of the house and getting to set all these booby traps and stuff. And that iconic kind of scream, I remember painting that in an art class at school. Um, but that would probably be where I kind of then associated it with a film of like, oh, that's what you could be doing if you're an actor. You could be doing that, and that looks well fun. Um, so as a little kid, it was stuff like that, and you know that kind of age things like Bill and Ted and 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 yeah, everything. Classic. And then as yeah, yeah, and then uh, and then you know, and just always loved the idea of kind of you know getting to do that as a job. And then as I got older, it would be you know, my brother 
was very much he's a bit of a film buff and stuff far more than I am and I guess he'd have you know I'm trying to think of like films that he'd, he'd have he'd have been a you know the one that kind of educated me on films a bit really and it'd be watching stuff that you know he was into so then things like you know when Tarantino started no. popping off and but then uh you know but then I was always kind of interested in things like Ken Loach films that was kind of something that really excited me when watching uh uh yeah kind of Ken Loach and um uh, Mike Lee and things like that that just kind of were outside of that Hollywood thing and very, I mean obviously very very different things like Home Alone and Bill and Ted but just the fact that you could tell those kind of stories with film and things were very real and I guess my kind of uh it just said something about life and 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 something a little bit deeper that that kind of shook you a little bit and um hit you just a little bit bit harder but um yeah they'd be the kind of films that really got me excited about film and, and you just said then that you couldn't imagine other kids and other people not wanting to be an actor like you just thought mm. that was what everyone wanted to do when did it become a reality to you because obviously when you're studying at school and college and stuff were your mm. were your kind of vision still the same was it that's all I want to do I can't imagine going to work in a shop or do retail or anything else like I have to live breathe and every day be closer to becoming an actor than I can um I, yes no I mean I think I just had that naive thing of like oh it will just happen <laughs> yeah, you know one day. I, like yeah, one day it's just going to happen because I didn't really know how to go about being an actor. Um, I didn't have anyone in my family who acted. I didn't, you know, didn't. There was there was no one, so I didn't. I didn't. It was very alien and kind of that, you know, bit of a pipe dream. Really, it was didn't seem realistic. Yeah. Um, and when I was very little, uh, I I was you know I was very obsessed with this idea of going to like stage school, but my parents sensibly um rejected that idea one because you know they wouldn't have been able to afford it but two because um they you know just that kind of my parents I think I don't think even went to university I don't think they'd have gone to like college or whatever but um you know the 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 opportunities I had you know it's like most parents it's like you want more for your kids than what you had so that I was you know fairly competent academically so you know they kind of thought I should pursue that more and kind of you know have a backup that yeah. kind of very typical kind of uh working class or lower middle class attitude of like you, you know you you can't rely on the arts to put food on the table um but always massively supportive um but I then kind of as as I got a bit older I guess through my teens um I probably always thought oh why is why am I not doing this professionally by now but when you're not kind of Unless you're going to, I didn't know about the National Youth Theatre or anything. I think if I'd known about that, it was a bit different because you couldn't just go online and Google no. stuff then. So um, I didn't know about the National Youth Theatre, which probably would have been the smartest move for me because I, I grew up just outside of London kind of thing. So it would have been the easiest route in. But, I, you know, it, unless you're in one of those major cities, like, you know, the Nottingham Workshop, there is, you know, there's things like that that you can go to. They didn't really seem an avenue for it. So when I came to, um apply for university the only really um obvious route to me that i i knew a lot about apart from, you know i'd heard of like rada and lambda and things like that but um i just i in my mind they were just these really really expensive institutions that were going to cost a fortune to go to but i knew lots of people went to oxford and cambridge and kind of did footlights and stuff 
and I'd have been encouraged to apply for um, Oxbridge. So I um, interviewed at Cambridge and kind of thought, well, here we go. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do, uh, I think it was PPE that I applied for at Cambridge and thought, right, there we go. I'm going to do that. I'm going to get in like footlights or something and that will be me set and then didn't get in. <laughs> oh, um, so, uh, so, and all I'd done was just apply for similar courses at the next best university. So um, I ended up at Bristol doing politics and was pretty uninspired by the experience really. And I got there and I went along to, I, I met like the drama society and everybody was really posh and quite serious and I was just intimidated by it really I kind of told myself you know just like oh that's not for me like they're all kind of you know loveys and um you know too posh and so on but I think I was just a bit intimidated I hadn't yeah. really been around privately educated people and 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 you know th it was the fact that th their knowledge about plays and playwrights that I just never been introduced to because all the stuff I did at this drama workshop was the improvisation and devising so we didn't really deal with plays or scripts um so I kind of just drifted really for a while and then it was the ITV workshop in Bristol which used to you know how like you've got the Nottingham one which all like the This Is England guys yeah. went to and stuff so that used to be part of um uh, the ITV kind of you know they had all their regional yeah. sort of networks and then they'd have a kind of charitable side of it I guess or, or you know community element to it where they funded I think it was Cardiff Nottingham maybe Birmingham and Bristol but there was a few of them anyway so it was it was the Bristol version of that um and although it was uh it was kind of run by the um David Brent of Amateur Dramatic but um <laughs> so it wasn't necessarily always the most kind of valuable uh education but um I met other people that were serious about acting and that were well I'm going to drama school and I was like okay that's what I'll do and you know found out about a bit more about it and that you know I could essentially do it like a degree and you got you know um uh it was it was the same kind of uh funding and everything so uh I applied to drama school um and then I did have a bit of a fright because they changed the rules between me like applying and getting in where you couldn't get a second loan student loan oh no so I'd already done a degree and then they changed it. You can get a second student loan and it all, you know, suddenly you're adding it up and I'm thinking, I, you know, this isn't going to work. Um, but got fortunate, got a scholarship. Um, you know, my parents did what they could, like my grandma and my auntie kind of helped out a bit. And then I just worked weekends and then yeah. went through drama school and worked the summers. And that was when it was really like, oh, this is when it is. That's when it started to feel real, you know. Were your family supportive knowing that you'd already done one degree and you were kind of completely changing and not, you know not saying it's a waste but they must have been like ugh, like you've just done one degree and now you're doing something completely different you're starting again aren't you honestly no they were just really supportive like my parents you know because i think just because of that you know my dad grew up in working class liverpool with no money and stuff like he he the, the idea that you were just gonna do something as kind of unstable as acting was a scary thought because you yeah. you know you, um but they were never like really kind of pushing me to be academic and you have to have a high paying job or like an important job. They just wanted us all to be happy and make the most of our opportunities really. And loved the fact that I was 
any I mean you know I feel so lucky that my parents like that like any kind of extracurricular stuff they encourage us to do whether it was my dad was massively into football I wasn't that great as a kid so but I got really into basketball and he'd happily just you know drive me to basketball practice you know skateboarding and they were always like really encouraging me doing that same with the acting so it was it was actually my parents that gave me the push to do it because they had no plans for me to kind of like I say to have some fancy job or 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 anything um so they just you know for all of us kids they just kind of wanted us to be happy in what we do and and probably looked at it and well you know you're fortunate that you know our generation is a little bit more realistic that you can do what you love as a job and um I was doing a play in Bristol and I was chatting to one of my sister's friends who I think she was trying to get into drama school or something like that was it or maybe she was like musical theater or something like that and um I was chatting to her and I said to her, oh, you know, I want to, I want to go to drama school. And my mum and dad overheard me and, um, and they came up to me at the end and said, you know, is, is that what you want to do? Um, and I was like, yeah. And they said, well, we, we think you should do it. And um, it made me a little bit emotional because I, I lost my dad 10 years ago. So it's kind of, sorry. No, that's, uh, it's good that you're doing him proud, my friend. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, it's just because you, um, you know, you think about at the time you don't. Well, no, I think I I was really grateful and really excited. And um, it it was the thing that I needed. I needed somebody. It needed to go from being a dream to reality. And that was that allowed me to do it Um, because, you know, my dad's quite a practical guy. So he wouldn't have said that unless he really believed in me and stuff. And when it's just, you know, I guess what gets me emotional is to think that's such a beautiful thing as a parent to do for your kid when, you know, you just want them to be happy and you say, you know, I'll do whatever I can to, to help you. It's, you know, you just, I hope I'll be that dad one yeah, day. And stuff. Yeah, yeah. It's very... you, you can't take that sort of stuff for granted. And there'll be so many people that mm. haven't had that where their parents have supported and gone, you know, I, yeah. I, I interview people all the time. They're like, my mom and dad were dead, dead against me going to do it because they said I need to get a real job. And mm. you know, that's not going to pay the bills. And how are you expected to be in a band or, you know, go on tour or yeah. be a film star because you're going to have to pay a mortgage and raise a family. So to know that your mom and dad um, were fully supportive and kind of mm. sitting there waving the flags for you and helping sort of supporting you is an amazing, amazing thing to have. And, mm. you know, it's it's sad to hear about your father, but at least now you can be so proud of what he's done and that he, mm. you know, you've gone on and not just, Oh, well, I did that. And I went, then I did yeah. another degree and I did this, or I didn't bother, you know, you, you, you took it seriously. And, you know, I wish, I kind of wish he was here to see what you were doing now. Yeah. Yeah. He, you know, it, I honestly, it, it's interesting to think like if, if he hadn't have said that to me afterwards, whether this would have just always been that dream of something you're going to do tomorrow. Do you know mm. what I mean? Cause, uh, um, uh, I, I just needed that someone taking it seriously and supporting it and saying, you know, we're not going to be there stressing about this and worrying about you. We're going to be there supporting you, like you say, cheerleading. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful of the things that he got to see me do. Um, but there's also plenty of stuff, I, you know, I, you know, I think about him every day and there's plenty of stuff where I just think, oh, God, I wish you could see, see this, you know, um, or experience this with me, you know. So when you went for these first auditions and it wasn't just studying and you said about the TV studios mm. and stuff like that, 
obviously the TV work you were getting at the start, so stuff like Misfits, mm. Babylon, him and her, all those sorts of early work. Mm. Obviously, he was around to see all that, so that's you know pretty epic. But the, the big one that I think I spoke to you at a Comic Con, Agents of Shield, where you know mm. absolutely huge. That must have been the point when you really thought, my God, like this is a whole nother level. When you're working with Marvel, yeah. and you've got that studio and it's that size and that budget and that scope. And mm. that's when it must have really kind of hit home like this is really serious. This is big. Yeah, that was kind of it was it was a nuts few weeks because I'd been um taping for a few things and there was a couple of other projects, one in particular that sounded very, they were very keen um and you know my agents have been calling a couple of times about it. and then i got this phone call about agents of shield and initially i thought it was this other job and i'd kind of almost forgotten i'd done the tape for agents of shield and um and then it's it's funny because in in the states they do it slightly differently to in the uk you before you screen test it's a bit more of a kind of formula to how they do the casting process and before you screen test you negotiate and sign the contract so essentially when you go in for that final meeting everybody going in has already committed their lives away to this this project and then they just get to pick who they want so it, it, it's kind of this slow burn of of things that just gradually amping up and you know um starting to sound a bit more serious so you start to get a little bit used to the idea that this could be happening um and then they they had originally wanted to fly me out for to do a screen test in person but i was shooting babylon at the time yeah and um i had one day off that they could do it so they were going to fly <laughs> they were going to fly me that morning do the screen test and then send me back to the, to the airport to get on a plane and fly <laughs> back and, and then go straight to set the next morning and oh, thankfully my, my my agents were like you can't make him do that he's gonna he's not going to perform his best and he's going to no. be exhausted going back to shooting so we did it um, I had to go into a casting uh, agent's office and do it do it there in London. And because I was shooting the whole time, it was, you know, you're, you're kind of trying to concentrate on doing your job in Babylon, but in the back of your mind, you're going like, what, what, if, they, what if this is, you know, going to happen and I've suddenly got to move to America and everything, and that's basically what happened. All of a sudden, I get the phone call, and I think I was with, I was with a bunch of guys from Babylon, so Stuart, my kind of little crew. Yeah. It, so it was like, um Stuart Martin um uh Adam Deacon um and was was it just those and uh, Andy was there as well yeah I think it was all, all of us we were having like a barbecue or something and I got a phone call and said yeah it's they want you to do it and you're kind of like right so I've got a week now to pack up my life while I'm still shooting and just move to LA and they were those guys are great they were really stoked for me and you're kind of you know you've got that sort of like butterflies in your stomach and calling home and letting all family know and everything and then uh I essentially fit you know we were shooting that all that week and barely sleeping because you just got all those nerves excitement, and excitement yeah. yeah and staring at stuff in your your apartment going what am I what am I going to take I mean I'm going to be away for like nine months like what am I going to do um and just start packing and you're like you don't know where you're going to live and so on it's um, surreal. it was really surreal and then um and then all of a sudden you know it was I wrapped one evening my mum my and my sister and my nephew who would have been really little at that time they came to see me on my last day and we were shooting in Finsbury Park area 
so they came and we sat and had like a little picnic and then wrapped that night went home went to bed got up on a plane flew to LA got off the flight <laughs> and was driven to set and I got to set and I said to the second AD I said oh is there somewhere I can just get a shower or something and you know freshen up and they were like no we kind of need you to get into costumes so I was into costume and then driven to some street in Culver City in LA and um in the blazing sun I mean it was late summer so it was like blazing hot you know when you kind of like see those sort of like weird ripples above above the road because of the heat and um there's an upside down SUV just in the middle of the street and I've got to get in it with Xena the warrior princess and do my first scene (laughs) it was was cut it was just mad really and then a bit of a roller coaster because I had been my agents had said because they the way they were doing it because no one had met me in person there's this whole thing that I was going to do my first episode and they reserved the right to kind of cancel my contract after the first episode in case you know I turned out to be a nightmare or something but because I was a bit green and a bit naive, I just was kind of like like waiting to find out, like, what are they going to tell me? And um, and I was with um, Mo, one of the um, showrunners, and she was asking me, oh, where, where are you, you know, going to be living and stuff? And I was, I was like, well, I don't know yet, really. I'm just waiting to find out whether I'm, you know, going to be on board for the rest yeah. of the season. She was like, what do you mean? I was like, well, like, I've just got to wait to find out, after, you know, if this is all permanent now and she was like of course it is what are you talking about and I was like oh right so I better start trying to find an apartment <laughs> move out of, move out of this hotel so yeah it was it was very exciting and you know surreal um but then quite quickly once you get into it it's just like being on set anywhere else you yeah know? people are normal on the whole and you know everybody's just trying to do their job and you know uh you just all got that better, other noise you got better weather that. you got better weather and a big yeah. yeah 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 and at the mm. moment obviously we're promoting close to me and you've got mm. to work with you know christopher eccleson who is an mm. absolute legend dr who fan yeah. absolutely adore the guy but yep. it must have been awesome to be working on this project and you know the the fans are ready to see this but you know it must have been awesome yeah that was very cool and like you know chris Eccleson just really good guy but also you know talking about films that you know i loved as a as a kid and got me into films and stuff shallow grave would have been one of them oh wow loved yeah. shallow grave amazing um and 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 when you know also when you know i was younger obviously like it wasn't like you just went on netflix and looked at the film it'd be like you'd hear it about it from somebody like this this really cool film it was slightly subversive and someone would have a copy of it that you know your brother would have borrowed and you'd have nicked it off him and watched it with your mates and stuff <laughs> so it was so so exciting watching films like that and um uh and what a good dude like i really really got on well with him enjoyed his company a, a hell of a lot and um as a as an actor he's great he's very very he, his primary focus is making this scene better you know it's not you know he, he's not just thinking about his performance what he's bringing he wants to make the whole scene as good as possible which is which I love that attitude it's it's a real involvement with the whole piece rather than just focusing on your lines on the page which is certainly I guess how I like to look at it there was um as I told this story the other day so there was, there was one thing that stuck in my mind as a kind of interesting lesson we were doing this scene where um he kind of breaks the um so, you know breaks social etiquette and calls me out on something and 
is impolite, but with good reason. You know, I need calling out in this in this yeah. moment. But it shocks um, uh, Rosie's character, Sash, who's my girlfriend in it, and um, Connie, who plays Joe. But by the time it got round to me, it might have been like Rosie's coverage or Rosie and Connie's coverage. But right by the time it got round to their coverage, we'd already done the scene like 10 times. So whatever he'd said was just less shocking. So, yeah. you know, you, you, and he, so he just said something completely outrageous to me because he's off camera. So he just said something completely outrageous. And you got a genuine reaction of them going, <laughs> I can't believe you just said that. And I, I just thought it was, it was great because he's he, it was just evidence of him thinking about the other actors in the room yeah. and how he can help them. Um, and I, lo- I loved him for that. And um, and also just got on well with him, which I just thought it was, a, it was a good thing. That's when you know when you're like, working with like a seasoned pro, isn't it? When they're still doing yeah. things and making and considering everyone else but themselves. Yeah. And it's got an enthusiasm for the job that which, you know, I think people can obviously get jaded or just a bit too comfortable and the... Um, he clearly uh, has has that enthusiasm for it and, and cares about it, which I I really love. A question I ask everyone that comes on the podcast, and it doesn't matter if they've been in the industry 30, 40 years or they're just starting out, but we have a lot of people that listen that are at film school or like yourself mm. wanting to get into acting. What advice do you give to those listeners today that want to be like yourself and get involved in acting and become you know involved in TV work or film work? Because mm. it's not easy is it it's it's a struggle yeah uh, i believe that right now in the world you can get yourself seen and out there through instagram facebook twitter and all this mm. but getting and standing above the rest what advice do you give to those people that are trying to kind of be seen um i think there's a there's a kind of practical probably advice and then maybe a, li- a little bit more philosophical advice i, I, I think it's, it's good to know what you're selling um what is that you bring to there's different to other people because it one thing it helps you kind of you can embrace that but also you know there's some roles that you know you can get disappointed about not getting and then you look at who they cast and you go oh okay yeah I get it there you know there was a thing just recently where they were just you are the right age for it but you look younger than you are and it just doesn't really fit because he's meant to be a dad and you go well there's no point in me getting upset about that because I can't change that so I think it's important to know that. And, and, and it also keeps you realistic that, you know, uh, of, 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 of that mental side of it, of disappointment and rejection, which inevitably comes along. And on that note as well, I'd say, is that you need to make peace with the fact that you have only a small amount of control over things. Yeah. Is that there's only certain, you can only control your contribution, which is, you know, trying to learn and be as observant as you can with acting and get better, um, learn from people and everything um, around you, but um, accept that so much of this is out of your control. But then the other side of that is, I, I think practically, it's like certainly looking at drama school is useful. Look for your local um, drama groups. So if you're close to a major city, look at you know, I think Manchester School of Acting do youth groups. You know, there's the Nottingham workshop. I think the yeah, the Bristol one's still going. Um, there's the National Youth Theatre. Get involved in that because that's a good avenue into things. But also now you can just make stuff yourself. Um, I was talking to someone uh, like a younger aspiring actor recently, and I, I just said, just start making stuff. You know, there's no excuse. You, you've got a HD camera in your pocket. 
yeah. um, go out there and experiment. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't matter because you do it again and you get better and you learn from it because um, you can, you can get frustrated that there isn't the perfect role out there for you, but you can just make it yourself. Um, and you can, you can get frustrated that the industry is that you have no control over the industry and what it's choosing to make or who it's choosing to put in it. So you can, you can do it all yourself and you'll learn about acting on screen. You'll learn how productions function. You'll have an appreciation for all the different departments that make a film or a TV show happen. So I, I, th I think just get off your ass and, and do it. Um, and don't, don't wait for permission to do it. Just start playing around. If you love it that much, you'll, you'll get a buzz out of it especially when you've got the tools in your hand on your phone now it's not like you've got mm. to go and rent loads of gear and try and get a camera from school or college or yeah you can literally do it all off literally an iphone and suddenly yeah become a 4k decent quality small yeah. short video you know exactly yeah and, 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 you, and you'll just learn by failing and yeah and then failing failing better um there's nothing to stop you doing that um and and like I say if you love it you're going to get a buzz out of it that's it, you know I, I get a buzz sometimes when I'm just doing tapes you know, audition tapes because you're just like, oh, I'm getting to do my own little play That's and I'm um, getting to kind of um, uh, create a character and and create a little story within these scenes. And, it, and I'm just like, that can be loads of fun just doing that. You know, and then I... once you've sent that off, just forget about it. Move on, yeah. go do something else, go keep... play football, go for a bike ride. You Don't know? sit waiting, just keep doing more. Yeah. Mm. Um, and one thing I do on the podcast, um, Every guest that comes on, and we're nearly at 200 episodes, gets to choose the outro piece of music. So I put you on the spot here. Now, if I give you advance warning, you'll be sitting there with a list of probably 10 songs. Yeah. Now, what yeah. I want, Nick, is a song that means a lot to you. Now, the so the episode's all done. It's edited. It's polished. Mm. When I ask the question, what's the first song that comes to your heart or your head and your soul that means a lot to you? So it can be any band, any piece of music from a film, a score, or just a I've already score. got the answer. You've got it. That's good. Some people are like, give me a minute and can I drop you an email? But I want it today, now. What is it? Uh, you'll Never Walk Alone, Jerry and the Pacemakers. Amazing. <laughs> I don't like Liverpool Football Club, but I love the song. <laughs> Who's your team? I'm not going to say on this interview because you'll, you'll suddenly hang up. But uh, Oh, God. Oh, God. I've got a feeling I know who. <laughs> just, I was really happy when Ronaldo returned. But... Oh, gosh. <laughs> it, was going, it was going so well. Ollie's at the wheel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can have the bragging rights on 5 0. That was fine. That was a <laughs> horrendous day. Yeah, it was a very fun day. <laughs> uh, I liked you as well. I was liking this interview. For half an hour. <laughs> but I like I can't I can't deny that that song is epic and to hear it when you got a full stadium yeah. of people. Do you know what? It it's it's it it's does something, doesn't song. it? It's unbelievable. Yeah. It's special. It really is. Nick, I really appreciate your time coming on the podcast. Uh, it's my pleasure. It's been really nice meeting you again. Yeah, um, close to me. I'm really looking forward to seeing. Obviously, it's out next week, and with everyone, they'll be watching it on streaming services and the, mm. the catch up, and they get it all at once. But yeah. after that, I take it you're just already starting to look at next pieces of work already. I'm sure is that you're already like next. Yeah, yeah, it's always the way. Yeah, it's funny because yeah. by the time something comes out, you did it like a year ago, and you've almost yeah. forgotten about it. Yeah, I appreciate everything, and uh, I hope all the rest of the press and everything goes well. Yeah, thanks, mate. Appreciate your time. Take care, buddy. 
so there it is. There's my interview with me and the amazing actor, Nick Blood. What a great guy, so down to earth, so honest and open. And hey, it even got a bit teary in that interview, which I was not expecting. But such a lovely, honest guy, and I couldn't ask for a better interview. We talked so much about some incredible roles that he's been in, but I still think the best is ahead of him. I can see him going on to bigger and better things and being one that we'll all know and love in the future. I want to say a massive thanks to Nick for coming on the show and it was an absolute pleasure. If you've listened to Mark and me before, you'll know the score by now. But what I ask, if you've enjoyed today's episode, just hit that share button on your Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. I say it on each and every episode because it's absolutely vital to get the word out there for the Mark and Me podcast. It costs nothing, so that's why I'm asking you to do it. I'm not asking for your money, I'm not asking for anything else, just to hit that share button because it really does make a massive difference. If you want to find the links to all my social media pages, all you have to do is go on markandme.com. But also on there is my email address and I will make sure that I reply personally to every email that I receive, every DM, every tweet and every Facebook comment. I've done that for five years and that won't ever change. So please keep the feedback coming. I love reading it. But if you do want to support the podcast on another level, I do have a Patreon page. I'm not sure if people out there realise this, but Mark and me is a one-man team. I don't have a producer, I don't have an agent, I don't have anyone that goes out there and arranges the interviews, I don't have someone that sits there and edits it all down for me and gets it all ready to release. It really is just me. I sort the interviews out, I go out there, I've never paid for an interview, I literally set them up, record them, edit them, produce them, mix them all down and then release them all. It's all me. But what I ask in return, if you really enjoyed it, is for you to just support me on Patreon. It is little as £1 per month. And for that at the moment, you're getting a minimum of six episodes every single month. But thanks to the sponsors of the podcast, which mean the absolute world to me, Last Exit to Nowhere t-shirts, you can be up for winning two t-shirts every single month by supporting me via Patreon. But not only that, the amazing guys at Vice Press News, who I've honestly spent so much money with in the past because they are the best company out there for any movie posters jump on board and they have given me some incredible prints some variant posters and just stuff that money can't buy so a huge thanks to those guys but each and every month you'll see on my social media channels and my patreon page i offer you the opportunity to win these so please go on the patreon page sign up and help support me because it really means i can go out there and do more and more episodes which means more and more interviews for you guys I don't pay myself from it, it just goes into hosting the podcast and allowing me to give you as much content as I physically can. I'm back in just a few days time, just before Christmas with a brand new episode. I think it's the biggest episode I've done this year and I can't wait to share it, but I'm not going to give you any hints today, just stick around and look on social media over the next couple of days because you're going to get some big clues and I can't wait to share it with you. So until then, look after yourself, take care and I'll speak to you all very soon. When you walk through a storm, hold your head up high and don't be afraid of the dark. At the end. Of a stone, there's a golden sky and the sweet silver sound of love.
我看。